the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. No, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Starting last week and concluding today, we've been looking at five components of division in the church. Last week, we looked at the first of these five components, and we spent all morning last Sunday just covering the first point because it's really the, the basis, the foundation of what he's going to say later in the get, as he gets into the particulars of what's happen, happening in Corinth. And just by way of review, the first component of division in the church that we looked at last week was the appeal, which is found in verse 10. And again, we saw the foundation of what is going on here, the address, the exhortation, And we were reminded last week in verse 10 that despite the Corinthian sin and their sin against Paul, Paul is graciously coming alongside them as we saw in that that word exhort. He's encouraging them as his spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. He cares about them. He loves them. He's not holding a grudge. He's not bitter. He wants to correct them. He wants to help them. And in the name of Christ... He says, that is, on the basis of the will and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells them that they must have agreement on matters of doctrine and the living out of that doctrine. The result in doing that would be unity in the church. And this leads us to our second component of division in the church, the assessment. The assessment. Let me read for you again verses 11 and 12. He says, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. At what is happening here? He's confronting this. He's not feeding it. 
And so that's the assessment. That's what's going on here. This is what he's confronting. Let's move to the third component of division in the church, which is the absurdity. Verse 13, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? To emphasize the absurdity, how ridiculous this situation is, as well as to clarify the inappropriateness of what's happening, Paul reminds them of the centrality of Christ by asking three rhetorical questions. The first is, has Christ been divided? And then to point out their folly even more, Paul brings the crucifixion front and center. It's almost a jarring, almost a disgusting picture. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? And then finally he says, have I been baptized or have you been baptized into my name? And that brings us to the fourth component of division in the church the alleviation, and this is very particular to their situation, verses 14 through 16. Let me read that for you again. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. So now Paul voices his gratitude, his thankfulness to the Lord that his actions while he was in Corinth weren't enough to feed this type of behavior. He says, there's only a few people that that I remember baptizing when I was with you. And what he's pointing out is that if he had baptized a lot of them, most of them, the Corinthians, that would give them all the more reason to claim some sort of superiority or allegiance to him in this party of Paul because, hey, I'm better better than you because the apostle Paul baptized me. Who baptized you? And it's not that the believers weren't baptized. We can safely assume that all the believers in that church were baptized. It's just that they couldn't brag or claim superiority because they were baptized by the Apostle Paul. This kind of reminds me of my time with, my, with students in my ministry at UCLA. They either would delay by adding one class the following year or speed up, cram up their last, cram in more classes in their last quarter so that they could graduate while Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor so that his name, his signature, his autograph would be on their university diploma. But here's the thing. Even if they had graduated before or after his term, they still graduated. It's not any less of a graduation. They passed their classes, and more importantly to UCLA, they paid their bills, And so they graduated. They walked. They're done. They get a diploma. It just didn't have a famous name on it. And it's the same thing. If you're baptized, you're baptized. As a believer, if you have believer's baptism, it is baptism. It counts regardless of who did it. Now, Paul did baptize a few people, which he names here. And for the sake of being thorough, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth before his conversion. You can read about him in Acts 18. Gaius is probably the Gaius mentioned in Romans 16.23. He's named as the host of the church, most likely a, a wealthier individual than the average person or even the average Christian since he had a house large enough to accommodate the church. Then we jump to verse 16 in 1 Corinthians 1. 
He says he also baptized the household of Stephanus. This is one of the first believers in Achaia and someone who had actually visited him, uh, which we'll read about at the, uh, towards the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. Other than that, he says he doesn't remember who else he had baptized. Now, this is natural. It's been a while since he's been in Corinth, and Paul has been busy, <laughs> to say the least. On a side, unrelated note, that verse may strike you as odd, but it totally fits in with what the Bible teaches and what we teach about the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. It's not that the Holy Spirit came down and all of a sudden they became zombies and so the grammar and the, the, the way they, they spoke and their experiences were all identical throughout the scriptures. No, he still used their personalities and their own lives and thinking. And so even the fact that Paul says there may be others, but I can't remember, does, in no way does that violate the inerrancy of scripture. It still works. And in fact, it just shows us the beauty of what God the Father did through the Spirit and these human writers. But back to our text. All of this is brought up. So, as verse 15 says, nobody would claim that they were baptized in Paul's name and brag about it. Again, to be baptized in Paul's name would place the mediatorial saving power in Paul rather than in Christ. And you can imagine the temptation to even greater pride and dissension in the church from anyone claiming the party of Paul had he actually been baptized by Paul. That would have been horrible. Paul wasn't downplaying the importance of baptism, understand. He's just downplaying the importance of the person who performs the baptism. On a larger scale, Paul is emphasizing that he's not trying to win converts to himself. So he's thankful to God that in God's sovereignty, he did not have Paul baptize any others because he can only imagine how much worse these factions would be if that had happened. And that leads us to our fifth and final component of division in the church. We've seen the appeal last week. This morning, the assessment, the absurdity, the alleviation, and finally, the assignment in verse 17. The assignment. He writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Again, he's not saying baptism is not important. He's not saying it's not commanded. We know very well that he understands and recognizes the importance of baptism in obeying the Lord. He's simply emphasizing that his role, as dictated by his apostleship and his specific calling, is a preacher. And that's what Christ sent him to do. But I appreciate that he elaborates on how he preaches the gospel. He says here, not in cleverness of speech. The ESV says, not in eloquent wisdom. That phrase means sophisticated speech. It's rhetoric. It's, it's a word, it's a type of speaking that's connected to winning arguments 
or impressing an audience with your public speaking abilities rather than the actual content of what's being said. In other words, he wasn't trying to win or even impress people with his oratory skills because this would distract from the focus on the cross. This actually sets us up for our next passage that will start in a couple weeks that emphasizes the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom. But it's when Paul says this here, it's more than just a matter of personal humility, not wanting to be the center of attention in his evangelism. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. He goes on to say that the cross of Christ would be made void were he to preach in cleverness of speech. That's a pretty bold claim. How so? How does rhetoric, how does does focusing on impressing people with your speaking eloquence make void the cross of Christ? And I want to give you three ways, and this is not a complete list, but it kind of gets you thinking, I hope, in the right direction of the danger of overemphasizing rhetoric. Now, I want, to, want you to understand that if you are gifted in evangelism, if you share the gospel with people, or, or if you're preaching a sermon or teaching a, a Bible study lesson, and people come up to you and go, you're really gifted in speaking, uh, I've had that passage or I've had the gospel preached to me many times before and, and you've just made it clear. I finally understand it. That doesn't mean you look at this passage and say, oh, I need to dumb it down and just mess up my grammar and things like that. You're gifted. Use that for the Lord. What he is talking about here is focusing only on that. What he is talking about here is what we can see on the Christian TV station all the time where the content is not just bad, the content is damning, but man, are they really good in public speaking. And thus they are filling stadiums. But here are three ways that focusing on oration can make void the cross of Christ. The first is, is probably the most obvious is you re- replace the power of the cross with human oratory persuasion. You're trying to persuade people with how well you speak rather than understanding that you can just bumble and fumble your way and get through the gospel and that's what's going to save them. It's replacing your conceived wrongly conceived ability to convince someone rather than saying it's the power of the cross and it's the work of God. There's nothing I can do outside of presenting the gospel. Secondly, and it's, it's, I think it's less so in our society today, but especially at that time in that place, a sophisticated speech was deeply connected. It was tied to a value system that prized education and social power. So in other words, the preaching of the gospel in this way, a focus on that, was really limited to a certain type of elite social class in that day. What you need to understand is the cross is for everyone. I can't believe I just said that. You do understand that the cross is for everyone. It's not just the well-educated and the powerful people of the world. 
It's not just the people who speak eloquently that can understand the gospel or have the privilege of sharing it. The focus on man's eloquence appeals to and elevates a certain type within society. And this dampens the power of the cross, which cuts through all human distinctions, whether race, class, gender, status, or education. Thirdly, clever speech, again, when done inappropriately, when focused on, is superficial. It's superficial. It appeals to the emotions without cutting to the heart of man as the cross only can and does. If you are very good and eloquent, and you've heard people like that, who just the way they speak, you are just drawn to them regardless of their content. You've done this with songs. Or maybe not you. You've seen this in churches and even in secular music. If there's a certain type of slow, perhaps orchestral music added to that pop song, people will get more emotional even though the lyrics say absolutely nothing than they do, for example, with the hymns we just sung because they're very kind of stoic and frankly old. But the lyrics are so rich and powerful. If you are a good speaker even with bad content, because of the superficiality of it, you will get results in terms of followers. You may even have professions of commitment, though not genuine, obviously, if you haven't preached the cross. You will get man's praise. Perhaps you'll even get famous. Perhaps you'll even be able to afford one or two private jets to fly you from your sermon to sermon. But what you won't get is true conversion. What you won't get is people turning to Christ. See, this is still true today, and it's very dangerous. When you look at the history, uh, culturally, in America, a few decades ago, there was a shift in our culture so that we have a tendency to follow those who are fun and outgoing rather than those who are wise and moral. It's why in our society, actors and athletes are considered role models simply because they are famous, regardless of how many affairs or divorces or girlfriends or drug addiction, right? And, and, and they do something and the parents rise up, you're a, you're a role model, how could you do this? Why am I a role model? Because I play football on TV? Why did you made me a role model? Why did you make me a role model? You're really telling me that in my brain and on my tongue, Pepsi is automatically going to taste better than Coke because Britney Spears drinks it? It's supposed to be the drink of my generation. We've done this, right? It's, it's absurd because we don't want to see a tongue scientist up there. Well, you know, Pepsi, right? It's ridiculous. It's boring, right? You paid $5 million for a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl for this? No. But we follow those that are popular, that are fun. This is true in the church, too. We want to hang out with the fun, the outgoing, the people, the outgoing people. We don't see if they're wise or, or they're prayer warriors 
or they're moral. We just like the fun and outgoing people, especially in a conservative church like this, because everyone else is just, oh, it's time about Bible, oh, the Bible study, are you going to men's group? Are you going to? Ooh, but that guy, he's really fun. I want to hang out with them. We have to listen to what people are saying. We have to listen to what you are saying. Are you trying to be eloquent and impressive, or are you just trying to preach the gospel? You know, we struggle. Many of us struggle with evangelism. You want to know why Paul had such an effective evangelistic ministry? Because he wasn't worried about what to say or how to impress. He wasn't afraid that people wouldn't like him. He wasn't afraid that he wouldn't have all the answers. He just preached the gospel. And here he is saying, in fact... If I think that I can only be an effective apostle, an effective evangelist, if I'm very eloquent, I'm actually not just focusing on the wrong thing. I will make void the cross of Christ. We get so worked up about this. What am I going to say? I'm not sure if I'll say it right. I don't know if they'll understand. Let's preach the gospel. How did Paul have such an effective evangelistic ministry? He just preach the gospel. How can you have an effective evangelistic ministry? Just preach the gospel. But they're asking me about homosexuality. They're asking me about 9-11. They're asking me just preach the gospel. They will not understand. They will not accept. They will not like your answer anyway unless they have the Holy Spirit. How do they get the Holy Spirit? Your only part of it is preach the gospel. And this is in our next passage. This is all that Paul's going to talk about. The wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God, which is foolishness to man. And this brings us full circle to what will ultimately end division in the church, the centrality of the cross. Don't worry about your reputation. And you can see this less. You could see this, right? It seems like he's kind of turning the corner and this verse 17 is kind of a transitional statement into the next passage. But if you're reading this, right? And so you're, you're in the church of Corinth and someone is reading this to you and you're feeling guilty because just that morning you were bragging about being, you know, of Cephas or whatever it is. And he's like, this is what have I, you know, was Peter crucified for you? You dividing the church is the body torn apart. And then he goes, as an apostle, he says, I don't even worry about being eloquent in preaching the gospel. Oh, because their focus is just on self. Which of those four, Paul, Peter, Apollos, or Christ, would just make me the most popular, seem the most spiritual? It's about about me, how much better I am than everyone else, because that's ultimately what division is about. And then here's the Apostle Paul, their pastor, the founder of the church, and many other churches. The most, one of the most influential people in the church in that day and still today, saying, eh, I don't even worry about how I sound. <laughs> it's just a twisting of the knife. But again, it's all about unity. How? not forcing you to like that person's dress or their new hairstyle or whatever it is. It's the centrality of the cross. 
It's not about hiding because you're a Chiefs fan. It's the centrality of the cross. That's it. That's it. So five components of division in the church, the appeal, the assessment, the absurdity, the alleviation, and the assignment, all of this, most of this is very particular to the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago, and we probably cannot relate. I really don't want to say this, but I'm going to. I know some people are thinking, yeah, but what about those people who are big fans of MacArthur or Sproul or Piper? Not even close to what's going on here. Not even close. So don't take that and bring that into this kind of thing. But ultimately, even in the particulars of what's going on, we can learn from their negative example and pursue Christ-likeness, part of which is unity within the local body. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made for you. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.